0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. My name's Ryan Church, one of the guys that is on staff here. Happy post-Labor Day weekend uh, to you. Uh, here we go with another September, and it is great to be together. I'm one of the pastors on staff here, one of the guys that helps lead university ministries. It's actually been a while since I've had a chance to be up in front, so it is an exciting time of year for me. I know many of you uh, are moving right now. Uh, we've moved from being downstairs in Calvin Lounge to back upstairs in our regular place, and as, uh, as I look out at many familiar faces, as you know, we'll be back in here pretty much every Tuesday uh, from now to Christmas, um, so and at nine o'clock a few weeks from now we'll uh, again do the Taco Tuesday legend. Uh, you're not you're not going to want to miss that. Eight thirty's uh, starting um, when school starts on September twenty fourth. So come and join us uh, throughout the year. I hope that you will. Speaking of moving. Uh, in that story that, that uh, Annika just read, we saw a son moving from one place to another. Clearly, that's something that a bunch of you are doing right now. How many of you have had to move in the last two weeks? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, almost a, a majority here. So moving. Uh, clearly, it's been something that's been happening in the neighborhood. How do I know? Because I live in the neighborhood, and I, I see the remnant of moving. Um, in fact, I want to show you some pictures that I've just taken this, this week. I don't know what it is about when it's move in and move out time here in the neighborhood, but it's almost as if people say, hey, uh, here we go. It's time to move out. Let's, uh, and because it's coming up, why don't you take the biggest pieces of furniture and take them out to the sidewalk? Hey, you two, why don't you guys grab those two uh, big couches and take them out to the parking strip or the median and leave them there for a couple of days? <laughs> this looks like a slumber party gone bad outside. You can even see the height of bed. Somebody lugged that hide-a-bed down the stairs. You see the bar that bisects your back when you're trying to sleep on it. And then, of course, they bring, as we saw, you bring your bookshelves down, you bring your lamp, and you almost try to take interior design outside and build little rooms. And then, of course, some, yeah, like, like that's actually a pretty sweet leather chair, by the way. Uh, I went and took a look at it, and for a split second it crossed. I could probably find a place for this, but I left it there. Uh, Anyway, moving is one of those things that can be a total pain, Uh, especially when you have to move that 250-pound couch up a flight of stairs and then around a corner, and it just barely fits. These pictures kind of communicate the worst of moving, right? But there can also be something really exciting about moving as well. Just a a change of scenery, a new room can be something that can can be a, a spark of momentum that can can get you fired up about a next season. Even if, move, if, if you're just moving, say, down the hall to a different room in the same dorm or in the same fraternity or sorority, there can be something that is, is really exciting about that. Well, in the story that Annika just read, uh, as, as we've noted, it is in some ways a story of moving. It's a story of moving away from home, away from community. Uh, to what the text says, a, a far away land, a distant country. Uh, and it's a story that I think is really appropriate for us, uh, as many of us are moving, and as we're starting another year together, um, to remember a few key things. Let me tell you what we're going to do this, this September, and then for those of you that want to tune me out after I say this, feel free to do so, because I'm just going to tell you what, why we wanted to do this. I recognize that over the summer, there's a lot of different things that can happen. There's a lot of you that are walking in tonight going, you know what? Over the summer, I did absolutely nothing to become the type of man or woman that I had hoped to be. And in fact, in a lot of ways, I feel like I might have gone backwards. Perhaps you're in in this, this place tonight needing to get out of a bad situation, and, and this is a, a ray of hope for you. Perhaps you are chasing a glorious vision of the good life that you have for yourself. Here's, what, here's why I wanted to look at this parable, and we're gonna we're going unpack it over the next three weeks, is that regardless of how you're coming in here tonight, what I want you to remember is that God is with you, and God welcomes you into those arms. You may have taken your eyes off of God, but God has kept... God's eyes on you. So we remember that we have not disqualified, even if, if we have, have lost it all, we have not disqualified ourselves uh, from the love of God. And that's what I hope that we can reflect on over the next several weeks as we seek to be uh, the type of community that will welcome others in from where, whatever direction they, be, they may be coming from. Uh, That They would know that this is a place where they experience in a real way, through the smiles on your faces, through the high fives you give, through through the the treats that we share together after the end, that God is is for you and that God is indeed uh, with you. So tonight we're going to look at the character in the story that I think is easiest for most of us to identify with, particularly when it comes to a college age crowd. And that is the younger son that likes to spend a little bit of money. Now, while I'm the oldest son in in my family, I have uh, three uh, younger sisters and then a younger brother. Um, I remember it was the fall of 1994, and I was getting dropped off here at the University of Washington, and my dad's getting me unpacked. And as we're as we're we're kind of finishing things up, uh, this was down in um, McCarty Hall. You know, uh, my dad's getting ready to leave, and the, you know, there's there's kind of this this You know this lull in the conversation, and you know my dad looks at me, and I'm thinking he's gonna he's gonna say something to me like, you know, I'm I'm so proud of you for coming to the University of Washington and doing what you're doing, or you know, he's he's gonna affirm me, you know, maybe even tell me that that he loves me. But he he pulls out fifty dollars and he looks at me and he says, Ryan, no CDs. Okay, CDs are these little silver things that you played music on back in the '90s. (laughs) And they were actually kind of a status symbol, you know? Like, I would make sh- that was like the height of the Seattle music scene Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Alice in Chains. It was a great time to be a music fan here in Seattle. And of course, I'd get some things that some girls would like to, you know? So, hey, you wanna come check out my CDs or whatever? So, <laughs> so my dad gives me 50 bucks and says, no CDs. It was his way, a father looking into the younger son, even though I'm the oldest son, saying, don't spend this all in one place. I may have been the older son, but my dad was well aware of my youngest son tendencies to take that which I would have and squander it in one place in my great pursuit of the good life. Uh, Before we continue in looking at the younger son, let me pray for us as we do. Uh, Lord, as, as we have already asked and we ask again, would you be our teacher? Would you open our ears, um, our eyes, our imaginations uh, to what you, would, what you would say to us through this story uh, that you told uh, years and years ago, but that somehow still rings true to us today? Lord, a- again, help us to see the truth in it as we gather tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let me, uh, again, read from the NIV, uh, the, the TNIV this time, um, about this younger son. And we'll see what it tells us about God, and we'll also see what it tells us about us as well. It says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. Amazingly. The father divided his property between them, the two sons. So of course, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen in that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. The younger son. It seems pretty straightforward, right? Almost cliche. You've got this youngest son who has a bit of a wild streak and he wants to leave home and he wants his old man to finance it. Okay? Some of you guys might be looking at yourself going, yeah, that's kind of me. Some of you ladies might be going, yeah, I've dated that type of guy before. But here's what I want you to, to connect with as we read through this story. That in the first century Jewish or Middle Eastern mind, for a younger son, for any son to ask for his, his share of the inheritance is to basically be asking for your father to be dead without asking him to be dead. It would be a highly, highly offensive ask. As some of you may know, I have two sons, and as a result, my wife and I uh, thought that, that one of the things that we would do this summer, one of the responsible things that we would do this summer would be to, uh, to outline our, our will. I know, not the most exciting thing in the world. You're like, man, you had a great summer. Okay, a will, of course, is the document that outlines what would happen in the unfortunate event that something would happen to uh, my wife myself or both of us. And so, of course it outlines things like who would take care of the kids if if I was in a in a catatonic state, at what point do you pull the plug and if I'm to pass away or if we're to pass away, who who gets, you know, who gets our key assets, you know, who who gets my golf ball collection? Who gets my 1993 Ford Taurus, okay? Those are important things to note so people don't fight over them, right? So essentially what this would be like is is carson say coming up carson's my my he's my oldest son so be like my my youngest son Colin, coming up and saying dad i want your golf ball collection so much i want it right now um obviously that doesn't sound too too offensive but in but for a son to come and say that thing you plan on giving me give it to me now especially in that first century it was essentially saying give me what's in your will, but give it to me now. All that to say, the younger son is making a request that is quite a bit more bold than just saying, can I have some money to buy some CDs or some downloads? Rather, he's in search of something, isn't he? you're going to ask for something that offensive. There's got to be something behind it. You see, he has developed a vision for his life, a vision that would be, in in his mind, better in this distant place that is far from his family. But the father, at least as Jesus tells us this story, seems to allow this is it tells us that the father proceeded to divide up the property between them, and then his younger son is turned loose. I imagine the father saying, okay, go nuts. Don't spend it all in one place. And of course, the text says that, in essence, he does spend it all in one place. He goes and squanders it all in wild living, it says. He spent everything so much so that when trouble came, came to the land, there was this famine he essentially became a slave in that place. Now this is where we have to again remember that in that first century Jewish mindset, one of the primary ways that they would think about, that they would know God, that they would define God, would be through this event called the Exodus. And the Exodus, as as some of you may know, is what? It It was a moment where God's people were set free. That God did the work to set people free And so when we hear that this son goes to a faraway place and ends up hiring himself out, one of the ways that this was likely thought of is that he has again been enslaved. Something has gone terribly wrong because God already worked to try and set his people free. God has worked to prevent in God's love Exactly what has happened in this story. So there are two clear questions that emerge in this, I think, very captivating story for me. And I want to reflect on those two questions with the, the time that we have left. The first, of course, is why would, why would the younger son do this? Why would the younger son at, behave so offensively? Why would he ask essentially his father to be dead. Does he hate his father? Is this just garden variety kind of teenage angst that everybody, you know, he just kind of disdains his parents in the same way that many of you probably went through a season or at least a day where you thought your parents were the worst? Well, we don't have any reason to believe that that the father outlined here wasn't anything other than good. So why would he ask this? Well, I read a a, a book from a theologian this summer, and he noted this. Uh, James K.A. Smith says Desire shapes how one sees and understands the world. We are fundamentally creatures of desire who crave the particular visions of the kingdom, that is, the good life. And our desire is shaped and directed by practices that point to the heart. Desire shapes how one sees and understands the world. Again, the question we're wrestling with is why would the son ask? Um, back to my own kids. So I, I have a, my oldest son will be five next week. And... He still has a tendency to ask for something, even when he knows he's likely not going to get it, even when he knows it's a long shot. And, and it's so easy to tell for me to tell when, when this is the case, because he'll come up to me and it'll be before dinner or something like, uh, hey, dad, uh, uh, can I have some ice cream? You know, or or you know, like many parents, my wife and I try to limit the amount of screen time that our that our, our kids get, and but we'll allow Carson to watch you know um, a show in the morning and then a show before bed. But of course, Carson likes shows, and so he'll be, "Hey, Dad, uh, I was thinking that maybe I could watch a show." <laughs> His desire to watch that show, even though he thinks there's no chance that he's going to be able to do that, his desire is strong enough that he's going to come and ask anyway. It leads me to believe that because the text doesn't tell us what, you know, exactly what was going on here, that we assume that this younger son had some sort of desire that was compelling enough for him to go up to his dad and say, Dad, can I have my inheritance? There is something very, very powerful about that. And so uh, the younger son seeks to go to this faraway place. And in so doing, it is a wholesale rejection of the life that he was living. The life that would have been handed down through his father, from his grandparents, and his great-grandparents, in favor of his own vision. He's gonna separate himself from community in favor of his own vision. So it leads us to, to, to this kind of intermediate reflection of what is the vision that you have of your ideal life? What's your vision of the good life? What's the thing that you are chasing? That thing that maybe even has you walking up to your dad or someone you love and going... Can I have whatever you're going to give me? Will you be dead? When I was in college, I no doubt came as an 18-year-old with a compelling vision of a faraway place. For me, I was moving over from the thriving metropolis of Port Angeles, Washington over here to uh, UW and Seattle. And for me, I could, not get, I could not wait to get out of a place that I had decided was boring. And so the vision that I had for, for being that 18-year-old coming over to the big city was, was that I was certainly the one in charge. In, in the vision that I had, I always won. It was always a place where I was successful. I could change the rules whenever I wanted to because my parents or my grandparents weren't there to make things boring and kind of be the buzzkill. And above all, my vision of a good life was was a change where I would be constantly adored and admired. Everything I could do in this place this vision that I had was going to make people like me. I was going to be successful and admired and adored every step of the way. Things were not going to be boring. Henry Nowen, in his awesome, awesome reflection on this parable, notes, over and over again, I have left home I have fled the hands of blessing and run off to faraway far places searching for love. Searching for love. I have become deaf to the voice that calls me beloved. The vision that drives this younger son is perhaps a vision of love. Love of finding love, of experiencing love that in a way that must have been different than however he was experiencing it at home. So that leads us to the second question. Of course, why does the father allow this? Why does the father actually go through with dividing up the property and, and so to speak, permitting this whole thing uh, to happen? Well, here's before we continue, the thing that we have to remember is that this is a parable that's not about my dad. It's not about your dad. And it's not even a a parable that I think really informs my own parenting a whole bunch. Jesus wants us to learn something and to hear something about God, wants us to hear something about the heart of God the Father. And it is some, in some, for some mysterious reason, God the Father says, Okay, I'm going to give you exactly what you're asking for. Even though you have no idea what you are doing, go ahead and do this. Why does the Father agree to this? Two thoughts. One is that the father cannot force love on his child. He has to let him go in freedom, though I think that the father is aware of the pain that it will cause both of them. So perhaps it's a bit of a paradox then that it is precisely the love, that out of love, that the father allows this to happen. He allows his son to go find his own life, even at the risk that he will lose it. My in laws uh, have one of these little hanging trinkets, you know, kind of one of these things in the, in the bathroom that I use when I visit their house in Wisconsin. And it says something that I found myself re- reflecting on, you know, more than you would think, you know, with, with uh, something that you just see hanging in a bathroom. But it says this two gifts. A parent gives their children. One is roots and the other is wings. It seems to me that the father in the story realizes it's not only about roots, but it's about wings as well. He knows that if there is going to be a discovery, and as we already discussed, a discovery of what? A discovery of love a discovery of of a compelling love that the younger son is is seeking, a discovery of the love that this father actually already has for the son, that he has to go and have this crazy adventure. He has to go and discover it for himself. You see, I believe that the love that the son is seeking is a love that the father already has for him. But it is only by the younger son going and chasing this, this ideal, or this compelling sense of love that he's ever going to really get it. In my time as, as a college student and even beyond, I would have considered myself uh, what we might call a dater. Okay, I like to, I, I, as a college student and as a young adult, I like to date. In fact, I thought I was pretty doggone good at it. Uh, that could just be ego. <laughs> Why are you laughing at me, Yordanos? I'm serious. I was good. I, in fact, I still am. Just date my wife now. But as I would date in college and, and beyond, what was I looking for? Of course, I was searching for this, this sense of, Of love that was exciting, that was compelling, that seemed like it was worth actually making what retrospectively I might call bad decisions for. Yet there was also something in that search for love that also left me wanting something at the end of it. In in one circumstance where I thought that I was in love, I was told that somebody else a little bit better came along. See you later. Another time, uh, it wasn't even that somebody better came along. It was just that the idea of what could be was just so much better than, than me that it didn't make sense to continue dating. That one, that moment being particularly painful, I, I remember, it, it's amazing how well I remember this, that in these, the culmination of, of these, these several romance, but it, romances, but in particularly this one that had gone wrong. I remember two weeks after she had broken up with me, I was, I was in my car uh, driving when I, as, as, as audibly at risk of sounding like the hyper-spiritual pastor, I rarely do this, but as audibly as I feel like I've ever experienced the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God, I felt like I heard God say, you know, I've given you all you need. I have loved you and will love you in exactly the way that you need. And it was a moment for me of going, you know what? I believe that. I really believe that. I don't need her. What's amazing is that for me in that moment, um, that relationship was reconciled and now we're married, which is kind of nice. But there was this sense of it was only after chasing romance in a way that I had this compelling vision for and going at, at times to what we might call that distant country or that faraway place that I began to experience and begin to taste the love that was there, that was available all along, the love that required nothing out of me but loves me because I'm simply beloved. Did you catch the part in the story that when things go bad and the younger son ends up broke, it just says he came to his senses. He didn't go and make a bunch of money so that he could get himself together and pay his dad back. No, he failed. This was an epic fail. And all he did was come to his senses and go, go back to his father. And his father, as we'll see in a, in a few weeks, simply embraces him. It's not about getting ourselves together. And so as we consider the younger son, we're wise to consider ourselves. We're wise to see ourselves in, in this person who separated himself from love and community and went chasing after his own compelling vision. And there, were, there was probably a lot of great stuff in that vision. I'm not convinced that, that it was, it was uh, totally off base or a debaucherous dream in its entirety. But as we reflect on this for ourselves, maybe this is the year that you join that small group and you share with them, really, what is the vision of the good life that you have? Instead of just keeping it to yourself, how do we let people in to help help us know that and, and understand where that vision that we're tempted to forsake everything else to chase the good life? Are there people helping us understand how good or bad that is? The younger son's big mistake was that he separated himself; he isolated himself. I don't think it was the vision. I think we all have compelling vision. But let us check ourselves um, with our values and our community. And then, of course, there's the mystery of a loving father that says, yeah, you might have messed up this summer. You might not have taken a step forward in the man or woman that I have given you vision to be, that you yourself want to be. But you know what? It doesn't require you getting your life together. It doesn't require you getting, getting yourself cleaned up and paying back any debts. All it requires is you saying, I want to return to my father. It's not a sense of returning home. This isn't something that says, when things get tough, just run home. No, it's a parable that reminds us when we find ourselves broken and desperate, confused, it reminds us that our Father is there. Our Heavenly Father is there. That God is willing. That you belong to God and that there's nothing that you can do that can ever separate you from his love. That's the gospel and that's good news. Let us pray. Lord, for the ways that you keep your eyes on us, even when we uh, are chasing after um, after our own vision, ways that we respond to our own sense of glory or lust, uh, and yet, Lord, you are gracious. Um, and, and so may we continue on this evening um, and throughout this week knowing uh, that your promise endures and that you are, are just dying for us to return from wherever it is that we may find ourselves, and it's in Jesus' name, amen.